This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. See you with first to the floor. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. Alongside me, Jake Eisenberg. Jake, how's it going, buddy? Doing well. Just embracing my my inner Joe Missoula and just like hoping that the rest of the day goes badly so that I can face some adversity. A mindset-focused approach. Love yeah. it. All right. Look, subscribe to the YouTube channel here. We're so close to 3,000 subs. Like the stream. Hit that like button. Also, you can scan this QR code on the screen to get all our socials, the audio podcast, and our new Discord server, which has quickly become a hotbed, a hive of Celtic oh, yeah. scholars chopping it up, all things Celtics. All the links are in the description. We've got an awesome guest tonight, former Rain and Jay, current co-host of Still Potable, which, by the way, has the best theme song in all of Celtics podcasts, and he writes about the Celtics for The Athletic. It's Jay King. Jay, welcome, man. How's it going? It's going great. Our theme song is hilarious. Like, it <laughs> makes me laugh every single time. It's so good. <laughs> it's groovy, uh, too. I can just imagine you guys just getting ready to go every time it pops on. Every single time it makes me laugh, no matter what, <laughs> and then gets stuck in my head forever. Yeah, yeah, likewise. All right, well, look, let's start here, Jay. You had this tweet yesterday. The Celtics just completed a stretch of 15 games in 26 nights. They finished it 11-4 and four with a net rating of nearly nine. The schedule op- opens up a bit from here, thank God. Um, Jay, how much can you even derive from these games? Given it was such a condensed period, it did at times feel like the Celtics, I don't want to say mailing it in, but we're just like just trying to get through these games. And yet, like as... You know, an analyst, I can imagine you're trying to pull as much data as you can to figure out what this team will look like in the postseason. But given it's such a messy period of the schedule, how much can you even really derive from this stretch? I thought it was a really impressive stretch. And, and what you derive from it, to me, more than you know, how, how their offense looked, how their defense looked, is that they had the mindset to go 11-4 and four through a stretch that was that difficult. And, and to, for the most part, play pretty good basketball throughout it and to end it with a, a back-to-back win against two pretty good teams. I just thought that, that the approach that they took, the unwillingness to kind of let themselves give away too many games in there. Now, of course, there was the Milwaukee mishap. There was the blowout loss to L.A. where they kind of just – let go of the rope a little bit in the second half, I thought. But other than that, I just thought th- this team has taken a really good mindset into this year. It's not like last season when when small ruts become, you know, longer issues, bigger issues. They, they've just kind of kept everything to a minimum. And, and that to me is really impressive, especially in January. This was one of the tougher months I've probably ever covered from a standpoint of the travel, the the amount sheer amount of games mm-hmm. and and the Celtics I, I really thought they handled it well even though obviously it probably wasn't their best basketball it was really an impressive approach when you take it into effect take into account everything that went into that yeah dude I mean this is ridiculous this this stretch and the mentality of this team I joked about you know Missoula and expecting and hoping that my life goes badly for the next uh, couple of days just so <laughs> I can personally get better as a person but like <laughs> Yesterday was a that's the galaxy brain take. They it was going to be too easy up twenty, and um, they decided to start shooting the bed with sixty seconds to go in the second quarter and let that carry into the, into the next next half. But like that's just what's going to happen. 
when you're playing this many games in the NBA, like this stretch, yeah, 11 and four, 11 and four, as you said, I know um, in that stretch, they played three teams that were under 500. And like technically when they played the Rockets, the Rockets were above 500 when they played them. So there, there was just no nights off. And then you get the two wins on a back-to-back without KP on one and without Horford last night. Like Porzingis talked about it last night in his presser. Like Joe's really big on the mindset stuff. And that's that's been a weakness of this team like for, for a few years and it definitely popped up a fair bit last year. I've said it before, I've been, I was hesitant early in this season to be like, this team is different. You know, this team would have lost that game last year because this team last year won 57 games, which means they were fantastic. But we're definitely at a point where this team's definitely different. I think that last year, maybe that third quarter run happens. The Pacers take the lead in the third quarter. They go up one and that lead turns into like a 10, 12 point lead and the Celtics have to kind of fight and they make it one of those close fake comeback games. Whereas like how many times this year has a team kind of gone on a run, they take the punch and then they just, they come back, they play solid. And if not for a backcourt violation by Drew Holiday in the last 90 seconds, uh, it probably doesn't get uh, too stressful down the stretch there. Yeah. And it's just minimizing the damage, right? Like they've only lost twice in a row once all season. That's that's so hard to do in an NBA schedule, and and last year I can remember there was a stretch when they gave up like a twenty six point lead against Brooklyn. I I don't know if it was oh, exactly twenty six. Yeah, it was. And yeah. then I think their next game they had like a twelve point lead against Cleveland, and that was the game Grant Williams missed the free throws. They ended up losing that, <laughs> and it it was just like why why do you let this snowball? How do you not come back after that after blowing the huge lead? And take care of business the next time you have a huge lead. It it just didn't make sense. And I thought that that was starting to show flaws of that team. And and it showed up again in the in the playoffs. You know, Trey Young comes in game five. They had a chance to close out the Hawks in game five. They had let Trey Young come back in that game. It extended the series. Um, Philadelphia, Joel Embiid is out, and instead of just taking care of business, they let James Harden go absolutely bonkers. Don't defend him well at all eventually let him hit a game winner. And so it's just like they didn't always take care of business. And this team has been very businesslike. Yeah. And yet they're not absolutely perfect. Like 31 to six in second chance points last night, just talking about the indie game very quickly. They score 81 points in the first half, which is their most all season, like by a a small enough margin. And yet they're only up 15 because uh, on the rebounds, on on the boards, rather, they're absolutely shitting the bed. Do you see that as as a problem going forward and into the playoffs as we start to try and nitpick like what might be their downfall if there is one? Not really. They... They've actually been a great defensive rebounding team over the last couple of seasons, even though because of how small they play a lot of the time, you wouldn't expect it. But Jason Tatum's a great defensive rebounder. Um, I think they led the league in defensive rebounding last year. Now they're in the top 10 again. So I don't see that as a huge, huge issue. To me, I don't want to say it's potential downfall. The, the one thing about their starting lineup is that they don't have a big guy who's super physical. Mm-hmm. And and to me, that won't matter in most matchups. You can stick Drew Holiday on just about anyone and be fine. You can stick Jason Tatum on just about anyone and be fine. Jalen Brown. But, like, there are two teams in the East that that could matter against, and it's the Bucks with Giannis and the Sixers with Embiid. And just how do you match up with those guys in your starting lineup? And I, that's, like, the one potential flaw I see in this team. And they it, the answer could be just play out Horford more. Um but I think, I think they kind of have to figure out, and maybe they've already figured it out, how they would approach such a matchup in a playoff series. But I don't think you can get away with like Drew Holiday on Joel Embiid or, mm-hmm. or maybe even Drew Holiday on Giannis in, for the, the length of a playoff series. Yeah, I will say I have been in, in more impressed with Chris Tapps's rebounding and physicality than I thought I was going to be. But yeah, like last night in particular, I don't know, coming back off the ankle injury, he definitely got out-muscled a fair bit on by Turner and on the boards, despite having, I think he had 11 or 12 rebounds. I know that because he was part of my same-game parlay. Thank you, Chris Tapps. There you uh, go. There you go. <laughs> shout out, but FanDuel. Yes, yeah, shout out, FanDuel. Uh, yeah, so, like, the defensive rebounding numbers are always have, have been excellent. Um, Al Horford, yeah, you, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was like, he's, he's kind of the answer to, I think, those things. And it's going to be interesting to see whether or not 
especially those two matchups in particular, if we see a lot more Al Horford than if we if we play pretty much any other team, I think Al Horford probably slips into that that role that he's playing right now in that 24, 26 minute range. But we know what he does against the Bucks and and Joel Embiid. It's going to be very difficult to keep him off the off the court for thirty minutes in those matchups. I think. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. And then then the other issue, potential issue, is just always late game offense. And I, I don't say that because of anything that has really happened this year. Like you can point to a couple of different games where they didn't score well down the stretch. The loss in Minnesota was particularly disgusting. The last five minutes of the Nuggets game, they had four points. Um, but for the most part, I feel like crunch time offense has been really good. They've been able to diagnose defenses. They've been able to find solutions. They've gone to whole bunch of different ways to play, whether it's posting up with Jason Tatum, posting up with Christoph Porzingis, running high screen roll with Derek White and whoever. And so I, I the only reason why I think that could be an issue is just because of history. And we've seen it pop up deep in the playoffs the last couple of seasons. So they still need to prove they need to beat those allegations, I guess. Um but but th- those are like the two two things I'm kind of monitoring as as I look at things that that could be the downfall on top of like the health stuff, which especially with Chris Oswarzinger seems really really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, keep him in bubble wrap. We're inching closer to not needing him to play very much with as we have our four and a half game lead on first place. But that's a great point. Um, the offense we've got. A tweet from Steve Jones today that kind of made the rounds on Twitter, and there's very few guys nationally that I really take too much stock in when they talk about the Celtics or any specific team. Jay, I'm sure you struggle with this, like trying to do national stuff. I don't know how anyone can really do it um, across and like when there's so many games and there's so many teams. Um, but Steve Jones in particular is a guy that I really believe in his like ball knowing abilities. Um, I know Boston is very good. I still don't know how to deal with the combination of quick shocks, quick shots, bogging down and getting late in the clock and the great ball movement slash spacing. It's funny. He actually didn't really say anything very negative about the Celtics, but uh, he, he copped a fair bit of um, Celtics fans are, <laughs> On high, on edge this season. Twitter is uh, a sure, nasty, nasty place. I'm not sure if it's worse <laughs> this year, um, but that always, and I've mentioned this on the pod before, this clip, which I went and found from uh, the mic'd up segments in the conference finals from Eric Spolstra. It always makes me think of this. It's a possession game right now, right? All right, on both sides. So the offense are rebounding, and then make sure we get shots on goal. Okay, shots on goal. The shots on goal, the shots on goal thing, I think is like such an, a key thing for this Celtics team and speaks to Joe Missoula's offensive philosophy. When you, when you get quick shots, you're not going to turn the ball over. And this, like one, like one of the reasons the Celtics haven't won the title, like maybe right at the top of the list has been turnovers when they made it to the finals, you know, the, the Bucks series, the heat series and the warrior series, you know, Tatum led the, like broke the record for most turnovers in a, and a playoff run ever, um, which is not super surprising because he played three elite defenses and he was 23 years old as a lead wing initiator, not even as a guard. But when you're turning the ball over, like you're giving up the opposition easy transition opportunities in a playoff setting where buckets are so hard to come by, like you just can't be giving away those types of shots. And so you're getting quick shots, which is shots on goal. And also now the, the infusion of the post-ups in this offense, they are now second in the league in post-up frequency. And that's like the biggest difference in this Celtics offense. And when you talk about fourth quarter offense, Jalen and Jason, like turnovers are just part of like one of their weaknesses in those late moments, especially just like when driving. But when you put them in those post-up situations, it really minimizes uh, turnovers and it makes it easier for them to play make, play make out of those spots. Your thoughts, J. King? Yeah, no, all of that makes perfect sense. And I think that's one of the reasons why they've leaned into more post-ups. And last year in Joe Mazzulla's first as a coach, that felt like one of the lessons that he learned was like he wanted to do, and it's funny now because they're so efficient with post-ups, but he wanted to do basically what would lead to the most efficient opportunities and to layups and to three-pointers and and he didn't really veer too far from that ever. And this series was like, I think from playing against the Miami Heat, especially that series helped teach him, like, 
sometimes you just need a bucket. Sometimes it's not about getting, you know, a, a corner three or a layup. It's like, can you get yourself into a position that you have a reasonably good chance of scoring? And post-ups for them have been really important for that. And I think one way to minimize runs by an opposing team is one way to control the pace of a game. It's and, and they have so many guys who can post up. Basically, their whole starting lineup can post up. And, and it helps a lot that they have nothing but shooters in most of their rotation. I mean, Luke Cornett is the only guy in their rotation who doesn't really shoot threes. He used to shout out he to could. I know. shout out Incredible. to Luke Cornett's early career launching. <laughs> Self control from that guy, dude. That's so impressive. He just doesn't even think about it anymore. <laughs> but yeah, that that's been a huge evolution for the the post ups, and and they're so good at it, and and they're smart about when they do it too. And I think that that's been part of it. Is like Chris Ashworthingus, you hardly ever see him ever post up an opposing center. It's almost always opposing wings. It's almost always a mismatch. Jason Tatum, like he picks and chooses when he goes in there. They pick and choose when they send him there. And I, I just feel like like they've done a really smart job of attacking the post at the right times. And it's it's been a huge change for them. Like they mm-hmm. they never ever went to that last year. And now, like you said, they're second behind. I think Jokic's nugget. Yeah. Denver is number one. Yeah, so yeah, both possessions and frequency, they're second. And then efficiency, they're right at the top. Yeah, Jay, from being around the team as much as you are, how much of a sense do you get that the addition of like Charles Lee and Sam Cassell are the the catalyst for these changes? Like obviously Joe's been really impressive this year, I think on the court and off the court, like for nothing else, uh, for no other purpose, you could say that he's been really entertaining with the media, I think, Um, (laughs) if not a little bit abrasive at times, but particularly on the court, like how much do you think the addition of his new assistant coaches have um, have been the catalyst for some of these changes? So I don't know. Sam, Sam loves the post-ups. Um, obviously, he was a post-up guy. He's, he works with Jason Tatum on those. Um, I don't know how much of this is due to Charles Lee, but you can sort of see the the Bucks' influence on the mm-hmm. defense, especially. they give, The Celtics give up a ton of three-point attempts. And I think they're, they're last in the – first in the league. They, they allow the most above-the-break three-point attempts, I believe, or, or at least last time I checked, they, they were – and that's that's by design. It, they're they're sort of taking the Bucks philosophy of yeah, we're going to allow you to shoot a lot of threes, but we're going to make you make your worst shooters take them. And we're the trade off is we're going to be insane at protecting the rim. And Porzingis has allowed them to kind of form their defense like that. And then they it's also they have just rim protection everywhere. <laughs> like literally, what other starting lineup has two guards? who can both protect the rim. It's uh-huh. just so rare. Um, but the Celtics have that. And, and so I, I don't know exactly how much obviously is, is due to those guys, but you can see the influence. And then I think the, maybe, maybe the bigger influence is like Joe's not working with a staff that was Ime Udokas. Yeah, you know? sure. <laughs> and, and he had time to sort of, recalibrate how the flow of information goes recalibrate how the daily processes go and and i think that that's gone a long way toward toward making a difference and and allowing joe to be more comfortable he's he's running things the way he wants to now Mm -hmm. in a way that he was never afforded during his first year just because of how strange that whole thing was I kind of have this theory with Yudoka that he helped like the Jays, for example, get over the line from a maturity standpoint, help them grow them up to some badass. degree. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, but also gave them readiness for the Missoula era. Like, I think yeah. if you just went straight to Missoula, maybe they'd still be not badasses for, for lack of a better term. Is that fair? Uh, I don't know. So Missoula is a badass. <laughs> like he, he, <laughs> In his own way. He's a maniac, competitive maniac. So I don't know if that's fair, but I do know that those guys give Ime Odoka a lot of credit for just kind of turning around the the direction of the franchise. I mean, things, I don't want to say dark, but it was a bad season before he got there. And then the first half of that season was really bad. And they kind of had to learn how to see the game differently. And I think that's been a process for Tatum and Brown throughout their entire careers. It's still ongoing now. but But especially then, it was like, those guys 
have always been open to coaching, but I think they just needed to learn how to see the game better. They needed to learn how to impact their teammates. And I thought that that was the biggest thing Udoka brought. And that was the biggest change during his years. Like those guys started to realize how much value they could have on top of their score. And, and now obviously you see it and they're, they're just all around players now, including Brown, who's probably playmaking mm. at a level that, that he never has before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they just needed a year abroad um, instead of like me, <laughs> a taking a, me taking a gap year and, and going to Asia and drinking a lot of weird stuff in buckets. They went to like <laughs> badass, like bully ball camp for a year. But then I don't know if this is a hot take, but, you know, Damon Stoudemire yesterday, huge W against UNC. Um, Will Hardy climbing the, climbing the leaderboard and coach of the year. Joe Mazzulla doing his thing. Rockets struggling i don't know maybe maybe you think <laughs> what are you saying of, i don't know i'm just i'm just i'm just laying out facts um but yes uh you mentioned Derek white and rim protection and i just before we i ask you uh the next question yes i want to talk about this play um from Derek white just because uh, we didn't hit the the paces game too much here but firstly Derek white first quarter um just ridiculous nine shots i wonder if that had a little bit to do with just how good he was in the fourth quarter and tatum being like hey we need you to be aggressive. When you're aggressive, this team is really good. But watch Derek White in particular, like from start to finish on this play. It's him hard. Holiday is on him. He'll make a move, the bump, the feed in the corner. Oh, what a play! What a rejection in there by White! Dude. Okay, I've got it in slow mode too, but we can talk over this one. This guy's a ninja. Like, he, he feels the screen and instantly just does a ninja spin. And books it for the corner. Like the defensive instincts of Derek White are insane. And everybody knows I love Derek White. And so I just needed to make sure we we snuck this one in here. <laughs> yeah, that was a heck of a play. And they needed it too after yeah. allowing their lead to just bleed away for the last couple of minutes of that game. Yeah, so on that, trust is a word I would definitely use when it comes to Derek White. And to borrow a little... Uh, gimmick or tradition, I should say, from the Still Potable uh, podcast. Can I interest you in a six pack of trust rankings? Um, using oh, yeah. The, yeah, yeah. We go. <laughs> um, back on I, the yeah. road. I love it. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so we'll use the top six uh, as the six pack as far as um, who do you trust the most? Uh, I mean, Jay. I guess, yeah, as one of the inventors of uh, the six-pack and our guest, I suppose I'll give you the first pick here. Who, uh, who do you take first overall? So th- how, do, how are we gauging trust here? Yeah, Just any, any, any value, any definition? Leave it up to you. Holistically. Holistically. Yeah, it could, could be at the free throw line. It could be bringing the ball up. It could be initiating the offense, you know, anchoring the defense, or all of the above. Listen to your heart. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go with... I'll go with Derek White from a <laughs> from a play to play standpoint. Nobody makes more right decisions. Mm-hmm. Joe Mazzulla called him a genius player yesterday, and yeah, accurate. It, it, it's it's really true, and I think he's just always a step ahead at making the right decision. Like he doesn't just make it; he makes it more quickly than other people do. And you can always trust him to make the right read in a pick and roll. You can always trust him to make the right read on whether to pass or shoot. You can always trust him to fly around screens and pursue a play and contest shots at the rim or anywhere else. And he like, how many dumb plays does Derek White make? Not very many. So we'll go with, with Derek White in the, the truck. The only thing that kept me from that was the final series he had two years ago. Mm-hmm. which I don't think really applies anymore because he's a totally different player. Yep. And the one stretch of game three against Miami where they like kind of played him off the court and they went with Grant Williams instead. So that's like the only things that, that kept him from being a unanimous pick in my head, but he's still the pick. 
Yeah, he didn't stand out particularly well in that Philly series last year either, I thought, but probably nitpicking because we expect perfection from Derek White always. So I'll, I'll leave that point there. Uh, do I get the second pick, Jake? Am yeah, I like, yeah. jumping I think, the gun I think, here? Man, no, jump in there, big dog. All right. I mean, it's got to be Jason Tatum, right? And, you know, I have to, I have to eliminate the free throw line um, from, you know, part of how I incorporate you know, this into his trust rankings because he has not proven himself to be particularly reliable at the free throw line. It's Although there me. is upticking over the last couple of weeks or so, thankfully, both in frequency and accuracy. But uh, Jason Tatum, I mean, come on. How can he not be ranked second in the trust <laughs> rankings? This is the guy who we want the ball in his hands to close the majority of games. Although, like you've just done, Jay, you can make the argument and rightfully so make the argument for Derek White also having the ball in his hands at the end of the game. But it's Jason Tatum. He's got the reputation. He's proven himself to be trustworthy for the most part time and time again since he was drafted. Yeah, and I think... An underrated part of the trust is like, if I need one stop, as much as I love Derek White and Drew Holiday, like if we end up playing Miami, can we just like, I want Jason Tatum on Jimmy Butler from like, as the primary matchup from mm-hmm. the get-go. Halliburton, SGA, there's there's very few guys in the league that if you need one stop, five minutes to go, that's the guy I want purely just from size, foot speed combination. He's he's so good. Um, and not not to say that Derek White, number one's a bad pick. Um, there is that, that also that there's that confidence piece, like the, J- the JJ Reddick podcast, the curse, he, he's, he's not quite Jason Tatum in the sense it's like Jason Tatum is a hundred percent sure that the next shot that he takes is going in. And that's just how he lives his life. And are you I'm, saying he's uncursable? You cannot be cursed. I think I think that's a good good call. Yeah, he's uncursable. It's, we got to yeah. be careful. We, we might curse him in the process of declaring <laughs> that. Yeah. Uh, well, let's move on to an, another uncursable individual. Um, this is great value at number three here, Al Horford. I can't mm. believe he's fallen to me in this spot. <laughs> I mean, uh, what do you need? Al Horford's got you. Uh, is it is it guard Joel Embiid, Giannis? Do you need him to still switch onto a guard? Um, the fact that he's still this this Swiss Army knife dude. It's insane. Uh, I, I, I've given up trying to figure out when it's gonna gonna fall off. Um, I was listening to like Thinking Basketball and their like old pers- old guys pod, and they're like, he's just an outlier at this point, same as LeBron. What are you gonna say, Jay? Yeah, though no, it's just it's insane because <laughs> the league has gotten to the place where centers are more and more like played out of rotations or in a series like just played off the floor. It never happens to Al Horford because he can guard anybody. Mm-hmm. And and the fact that he's still doing that at age 37 is just nuts. And obviously he's he's declined in some ways. He doesn't really shoot two-pointers anymore. He certainly never gets to the free throw line. Like there are ways <laughs> that you can see his his athleticism show up, but defensively it feels like there's been no slippage at all and it's been nice that they've kind of been able to limit his minutes a, a little bit this year, but then Chris Stapps is out and he goes for 36 minutes and is totally capable of doing that. So I don't think they should do that very often. Yeah. Keep, keep Allen bubble wrap too. Yes. They're going to need him in the playoffs, but man, he's dependable and has been dependable for a long time. And it's just bonkers that he's still yeah. at this level at 37. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like- Go ahead, Ben. Oh, I've really got nothing to add that you guys nailed it. I was just going to say, he's a, he's a B plus, like in all attributes, right? Which is a, an amazing luxury to have for anyone age 37. And, you know, I'm, I'm about to turn 37 myself. I can safely say I'm a C minus in all attributes in, in life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, facts, dude. I'm much younger and C minus would be great. <laughs> Thanks. I can point that out. <laughs> in, in all aspects. But yeah, dude, like I, I wonder if it's a little bit to do with the role. Like I feel like he's better this year defensively than he was last year. and But that was because he, he played 30, 31 minutes a game last night, uh, last season. As right this season, he's in that 24 to 26 range, being mm-hmm. very careful with the back-to-backs. And then last time I checked, he was shooting 50% from three in the clutch this season. Like I just trust this guy to make big shots on the catch every game um the, the playoffs last year is a massive lie, outlier in my opinion i think it was just shooting variants that hit the celtics at the wrong time i looked at the nine years of al Horford's playoff shooting and he averages like 35 36 across that entire sample 
Um, the next lowest was like 34, 35%. That 28% in the playoffs was just, just came right at the wrong time. Um, and they don't the rely on that as much anymore, right? Yes. Like la- last year, they needed him to shoot well to space the court for everybody else. Now it's a bonus more so than a necessity because it's Kristaps who's going to space the court and it's Kristaps who's going to provide all of that for the starting unit. So to me, every every point he scores is a bonus because his defense – is just still at such a high level. Uh, he should be higher on the six man of the year rankings. Ben, go ahead, but Jay, you're up next. Those are stupid. It's yeah, not about yeah. who's actually good at basketball. It's no, I know. about who, who scores the most points. <laughs> well, I was going to ask Jake, are we doing a snake draft or are we doing uh, a traditional draft? I actually, actually back, don't know. Back to Jay. Back to we Jay. always yeah. do Jay's, the snake draft on Still Potable. Okay, we, well, we, we always got to remain. Oh, so technically I get another pick here. Oh, yeah, interesting. Okay. Damn. Yeah. Okay. I was looking. I was looking down the draft board. It's right. I can make. I can make a, a quick trade up here. Um, so who we got left? Yeah. It's uh. It's KP. I think uh, <sighs> next year. Uh, I also just think his job. It's easy to trust him. I think like it's just every open shot you get, take it. Anytime you have a mis- mismatch, you're getting the ball. Drop coverage. Protect the rim. Um, the only weakness I, I think he has right now is his ability to cover stretch bigs. He's I thought he did a better job yesterday against Turner, but Chet struggled a fair bit in that matchup. He's which that's just how that's that's true of every big really. It's like and that's why stretch bigs are so freaking valuable in the NBA because it's just also it's why really, Al Horford is so valuable because he doesn't get caught in that somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there he is. Again, great value at number three. Al Horford yeah, making huge. making my case for me. Um, yeah. yeah, KP man, I I just don't I don't I just don't ever feel like. He makes the wrong decision, but I also feel like his decision profile is kind of easier to manage for him because we just want him to be this elite offensive release valve, and that's what he's been doing. I've called KP an adventurous passer, passer tempter in the past. We saw it uh, last <laughs> night against uh, Indy where he that just like bad. bounced the ball yeah. right out of bounds. He gets a little bit too speculative with the with the angles on his passes for JB okay. there. It's good that they're trying to keep the cookies and cream thing alive, trying to <laughs> you know reignite that connection on a, on, a, on a game-by-game basis. But um, yeah, I think he just gets a little bit too try-hard with some of those attempts. But uh, definitely, I think, um, a worthy spot in the draft as far as uh, trust rankings. Um, anything to add there on, on KPJ before we move on he also just makes everything so easy for everybody else mm-hmm. like he, he's he's somehow a connective piece with the traits of a star like he has all the skill of a star he's seven foot three the step back he hit against miles turner was just outrageous for a guy his size to do and he does stuff like that regularly but it's like the things that he does whether it's spacing up um he he's a really good roller too. Like he just does a little bit of everything in a way that really connects the offense and allows everybody else to flourish. He doesn't really care about his shot attempts. Um, sometimes I think they'd be better if they got him more shot attempts, but that hasn't really been how they flow a lot of the time. But to me, like he's been ridiculous and he's unlocked things that they never could do before. And I, I just think he's made a world of difference for them. And I think that that's one reason to believe that their late game offense will not have all the same issues that they've had in the past. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So the next pick is tough. It's it's pretty slim pickings down here at the bottom. Uh, I've got to go with Jalen Brown, which Thank is God, tough. And historically, like if, if we were to make that pick a year ago, you'd be like, what are you talking about? But um Jalen Brown, you know, he has had an uptick in um, in playmaking efficiency. It, it seems like he's really come alive. That part of his brain has become activated and he's actually making some pretty smart plays uh, off the dribble, making some good kickout passes. We saw examples of that last night against Indy. Um, it's still a surprise every time he makes the right play when he keeps his head up and, and makes the right play off the dribble. I'm still not used to it. I don't know if I will get used to it. But as far as trust rankings, like he's just elevated himself there above the quality of a guy like Drew Holiday, I think. So Jalen's my pick. He's climbed way up the trust rankings. Like, <laughs> yes, way six, up seven. Was he like 15th yeah. man before? <laughs> yeah. And, and you know what? I, I think that informed him that he needed to change. Be- before, it was like he was always on the rise, right? It was he became an all-star. He became an all-NBA player. Like just he kept scoring more and more points. And then, then it was like, oh, I'm not good enough. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) Jason Tatum got hurt. I was in charge of the offense and it didn't work. And so I think this year 
he really came in with the mentality that I need to be better. And he's done it. The, the, the way that he's improved just his willingness as a passer to getting into the paint and, and not taking too many dribbles and going into a crowd and trying some nonsense, just, just making safe plays time after time. It's really impressive to see because I, I genuinely didn't think he would get to this place in his career. I thought he was at the stage where it was just like, Jalen's going to be a great scorer. And, and that's pretty much it. But now he's, he's running pick and rolls and you can, you can allow him to do that when Jason Tatum sits. The offense is often in Jalen Brown's hands, and it works. And and they've made it work, and he's made it work. So I've been really impressed by him this year. I know the stats, like his efficiency is right about where it was last season. The assists aren't way up. The turnovers are down, but not by like a ton. Although lately, he's he's yeah. really taking great care of the ball. But it's just like watching him play, it's totally different. Yeah, the it's it almost felt like it was just a, a simple mentality shift. It's like when I'm driving, I just need to be more aware of like passing being an option and a good option. Like it, he, the amount of times he's dri- driven and jumped in the air with no plan just like doesn't really happen anymore. Whereas that, that was like every game last year. And so just like keeping that dribble alive and looking for guys has made such a big impact. And then like the defensive impact impact of this guy like as good as uh drew and Derek are like instinct wise compared to jalen there's just like something you can't make up for when you're six foot six six foot seven and as strong and as long as jalen is and the man like i i didn't think he was almost even like capable of playing the level of defense that he that he has this year like not getting back to a cut ever now um it's just it's had a huge impact on on the celtics and really encourages me uh for the playoffs but um and then his his recognition of defenses has just really grown. Like the there's one play in the Pacers game where he drove baseline, yep. and they rotated to the opposite corner, and he threw like the pass to the opposite wing instead. Yeah. And it was like, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, he, he's seeing a step ahead now, and that didn't used to be the case. It was he was seeing it a step behind, and he kind of jumped jumped ahead of like seeing it where you're supposed to like he's a step ahead now sometimes he's he's been really good still never not surprising uh jay that only leaves (laughs) one person falling to you with the last pick does it uh or am i gonna get real crazy here (laughs) or am i gonna get real crazy here (laughs) okay let's hear it it's you know, I, I thought about shocking the world and picking Peyton Pritchard, who's near the top <laughs> of the, the league in uh, assist-to-turnover ratio, mm-hmm. but we're going to go with Drew Holiday instead. And and I, you could just trust in his competitive fabric. You can trust him to guard whoever you want. You can trust that he will never moan, bitch, about anything. He's just – he's – one of the got to be one of the best teammates in the league. I know he's won the team of the year award like three times and it's deserved. This guy won all-star last year and is just came into Boston. It's like, yeah, I'm cool with being the fifth option, the fifth option. (laughs) And, and so to be able to trust that, you know, sometimes he's not going to get the ball for long stretches sometimes. And, and you can always count on him still to compete at a super high level to never complain that that's so meaningful to the team. And I think just his, his mentality toward that has gone a long way toward establishing um, that sort of attitude from the entire Celtics team. If if you look at Drew Holiday, who was an all-star last year and see him sacrificing the way he has, like you don't have a lot to complain about if, if you're one of those other guys. But there is a reason that he is sixth. <laughs> Yes, go he on. He does some wild stuff. <laughs> there sometimes. is a reason that he's sixth. And last night was like the example. The game was over. You're up seven with like minute 42 to go. All you need to do is like take a shot with three or five seconds left on the shot clock and the game's over. Instead, he goes through holiday mode, tries to go behind the back. It was either an eight second or a backcourt violation. The ref could have really chosen whatever he wanted and he could have called it. Um, there was... The first possession of the Miami game, I'm never going to forget it. The backcourt violation. That was, was like, incredible. I'm like, dude, never this, seen that before. This is this is Miami. I'm like, oh great, here we here we fucking go, dude. Like, the devil magic has infected our our new recruit instantly as well. He just, 
I've, I've, I'm pretty close to the point where I've able to accept the, the, the pull up threes that just come out of complete thin air, um, because they go in. And so I'm like, I'm getting better. There seems to be no pattern about when he decides no. to pull up either. It's I can't like, just totally, it's not how that he's being defended because a lot of the time when he pulls up is when he's most defended. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't get it. And like, then there's like the Bucks fans in the back of my, back of my head, like chirping about the Drew Holiday stuff. Um, I'm not super worried about that because, as you said, fifth option, like his ability to be destructive is just really mitigated just because of his role and the talent on the team. But there's just – he does some stuff where I'm like – It's it's so funny Jesus. because at the end of the day, you look at his stats, he doesn't turn the ball over a lot. He He's got a friend on the his, stat his sheet somewhere, dude. His efficiency <laughs> is sparkling. But every decision that he makes – that's bad is like so bad <laughs> you know? yeah. like, it's just you they're memorable mistakes he he makes yeah. the most memorable mistakes of he anybody does. except maybe yeah. nimi nimi makes some memorable mistakes as well uh yeah so very memorable jump ball situations last night which were <laughs> hilarious and i think we've already got clipped and going up on our socials later today um this question came from someone in our discord would you hypothetically rank last year's marcus smart over drew in this year's trust rankings given the opportunity jay Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> love and trust after all right um so <laughs> to me they're so close they're so close. <laughs> I think you have to trust Holiday a little more just because he's a better shooter, mm-hmm. right? Like, and that's going to matter in the playoffs. That's going to matter. He he's fifty something percent from corner threes, and it just seems like anytime he gets a the ball there, it's going into the basket. Defensively, I feel like Drew has maybe even done a better job than Smart on the ball. But Smart was so good off the ball, like just a ridiculous force off the ball. They're they're similar players, but different. And uh, the Celtics, I don't know what the Celtics would look like if they hadn't picked up Drew Holiday. Like I know they would have been really good regardless, but but he kind of completed them to me. They they needed a guy like Marcus Smart after losing Marcus Smart, and they got the only guy who might be more Marcus Smart than Marcus yeah. Smart. <laughs> yeah, very fortunate. Uh, anything else, Jake, before we move on and, and wrap up with some no. trade talk? No, I think it's fair. It's it's, it's a tough choice, but I think, yeah, purely the shooting alone, I think just in the playoffs in particular, the way that teams guard Drew is just going to be completely different to the way that teams guard Marcus Smart. And that's because, as we're seeing, Marcus Smart has never touched the level of like shooting that that Drew Holiday has done over the past. Like the, the sample size now of Drew bringing a 40% three-point shooter goes back three plus seasons. This would be the fourth season. And like you're seeing what happens in this role from the corners, which just was never going to be true of Marcus. So yeah, I think that's where you give the, give the edge to, to Drew there. But um, all right, we'll move on. Thank you for indulging us in the, the floor six pack. Loved it. Yeah, yeah, Thanks yeah. for loaning us the segment. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I stole Perfect. it from somebody. Okay, great. That would feel less bad. <laughs> yeah, renamed it. Yeah. Uh, all right. So trade deadline, a um, uh, couple, what are we at? Seven, eight days away now. Um, mm-hmm. The Jay Sean Tate report came out today. Uh, I guess the first question is, do you think the Celtics will make a move? If yes, tier one move, like 15 plus million, like a real like trade a top six guy swing or a, like a tier two, someone in that seven, six to seven, seven, six to 12 million, or just like a, you know, a Conchar type, type move. I guess Jason Tate probably falls into that, that tier three bucket as well. I would guess probably tier three. I think they, they will not move any of the top six. Like yeah. that's, that's just not happening. They, uh, they're really confident about the way they've played so far as they should be. They are really confident with the way things have gone. And they don't want to ruin that. And, and on top of that, unless if you're going to keep your top six, which they are, then you don't really have a lot of options financially to go after, to take a big swing at somebody. And Brad Stevens has said he wants to get a big wing. I do think they'll do something just to add another option. Um, but I think it'll be more like a Mike Muscala edition where 
You know, you bring him in. Hopefully he helps. Muscala didn't really help much. But you bring in somebody that's going to be a good locker room guy, won't won't care if he's not in the rotation, but also might give you something else on the court. And, and that, to me, is, is what they'll probably end up with. Um, they could have, like, bigger ambitions of going after – like if, if Caruso was available, Caruso. I'm sure they'd be super interested, though I'm not sure he's going to be available, and I'm not sure they would have enough to get him if he was available. Um, but short of that, it, there's not a lot of options that the Celtics will have just financially to to go after. Yeah, I think it's got to be like it's got to be with using the TPE, right? Because otherwise, you are sending out some notable personnel, even if it is Peyton Pritchard, and, and he for us on this show has been the name that's come up quite a bit, just because typically, you know, without the TPE or even with you, do have to send out some value, and he might be not to speculate too wildly here that you know the most movable piece with some value that you could send out, and then you know, we saw it with the Heat, even though we blew them the fuck out, like Jimmy Butler comes in and like expertly goes at Peyton Pritchard at every single opportunity. And that's just going to be repeated time and time again in the playoffs. So is that a position, Jay, that you think like most needs to be upgraded, the sort of the backup guard position? Or do you think that's likely to happen? Uh, to, to me, no, you don't need another backup guard because basically all your minutes in the playoffs, at least deep in the playoffs, are going to go to the top six, maybe a seventh. And if Peyton Pritchard, if it's not the matchup for him, you just play all those other guys, 35 to 40 minutes, maybe give Sam Hauser some minutes. Um, so to, to me, I, I would just want another wing because right now Sam Hauser is the only backup wing they have um, who's really earned trust in Brissett. You can talk about whether he's kind of emerged as, as that lately too. But, but I would want just another guy in that mold. I think Cornette's done enough where they should feel com- comfortable with him. If they're healthy, I don't think they play a third big in the playoffs anyway. So I would just want like one more wing option just in case. Yeah, my guy is Fontecchio. I'm just, I'm not sure if the Jazz are going to be sellers or not. What What's going on with Danny Ainge? And I know like the the prevailing theory on Danny Ainge is like he's going to make us give up like way too much for Fontecchio. But you go back and you have a look at that Russell Westbrook trade, which is like kind of underrated, was a very bad deal by the like Jazz as far as value goes. Like they just gave up a lot and didn't really get back much, in, in my opinion. Um, so I wonder where Danny is on that and just where the Jazz are. It's a very weird situation. Like they have their picks top 10 protected, but it's a bad draft. I've just, you don't know what Danny like which direction he he might go. Um, I know a lot of people want KP and Horford insurance. Um, I'm a huge believer in Cornet as far as like third bigs go. I just don't believe that KP Horford ex- insurance exists. Like you, you're just not going to get it. Like Drummond is a name that always comes up. Tice would have been like the guy, but he's not available. Like like uh, Nick Richards is a guy that comes up. Like there's just not, there is, it doesn't exist in my opinion. Tillman. Till, t- Tillman. There we go. That's close-ish, but like, I don't know. Tillman defensively is really good. Um, Mm -hmm. Offensively, not so much. But yeah, to me, like with those guys, you just got to (laughs) pray. Luke Cornett (laughs) has been a good backup. You're really not going to upgrade very much on uh, without paying a bigger price than the Celtics will be willing and able to pay. I'm, I'm with you. Like you just, you just hope you manage those guys well enough. You hope they're fortunate enough to stay healthy throughout the playoff run. And that if they do have miss a game or two, that you're able to overcome it. And and then, but yeah, like the thing about great bigs is like there, there's not a ton of great, like totally difference making bigs in the league. Celtics have Porzingis to do that. And then Al, who's as good defensively probably as any backup wing, backup big. I'm trying to think of a, another backup big who's that good. Well, it's like Hartenstein and Mitchell Robinson's really the only. Yeah. Hartenstein's like, like awesome. Yeah. Yeah, Okongwu too. Yeah. I guess there are some, but, but, may, but maybe he's like the. Hoffman's better than those guys, in my opinion. Like, but they're in the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be so difficult. Ben, go ahead. 
Uh, I was going to say, speaking of staying healthy and heading into the playoffs, <laughs> what do you think of this whole uh, Sixers and Bead situation, Jay? It's a bit, it's a sort of a controversial topic, I suppose, with the whole 65 game limit uh, and one's eligibility to, to make all NBA teams and MVP and, and things like that. For me, it feels like the one thing that Joel Embiid is yet to achieve is a championship or even still getting beyond the second round of the playoffs. So I think he should be ducking this 65 game situation. And I think the franchise should be behind him here and prioritizing health. And yet he goes out against the Warriors last night, clearly hobbled, makes matters worse. Then, you know, he has the tough luck of Jonathan Kaminga falling on his leg. And we're yet to hear the reports of exactly the extent of that injury. But I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on how the Sixers and Embiid have approached that whole messy situation. So I don't think they were ever concerned with the 65 games. He's missed enough games that he's well on pace to play fewer than 65 games. And he's been on that pace for a while now. They, they have not gone out of their way to put him back in the lineup. They have not gone out of the way to keep him, you know, away from missing games. So to me, he played because he wanted to play. He felt he was capable of playing. Um, it was really unfortunate, but but I don't think the 65-game rule had a lot to do with that. And I, I don't think 65 games is a lot to ask an MVP to play. You know, like 60, that's, that should be the minimum. Where I find an issue with it is when the money's affected. And, and that's with a guy like Tyrese Halliburton, yeah. who like to make all NBA now you have to play 65 games and he had an injury clearly try to come back quickly from injury because of that 65 game limit. And because there's 40, $50 million, whatever it is on the line based on whether he makes all NBA this season. And so that to me is where the rule is dicey, not with the MVP stuff. um, But, but when a guy's contract is determined by whether he plays 65 games and enough to qualify for all NBA. That's where, that's where it's tough. Um, And I I get it. Like 65 games, like I said, it's not a ton to play (laughs) like, but in, in situations where you're trying to rush back from an injury so that you get there, like that's, that's not good at all. So maybe they need to come up with, with some other way um, of the, like maybe if you miss, like 20 games in a row or 15 games in a row, it only counts as whatever for the missed por- games portion or something like that. I don't know. That's a good idea. Yeah. I think the all NBA, you just lower that like MVP or whatever can be 65. Ironically, like an MVP that's played less than 65 has never won MVP except for Bill Walton, I think. So it's like, that was already kind of taken into consideration. Um, maybe you lower all NBA for to like 50 games or whatever. Um, Cause of the contract stuff. Also not too Upset that Halliburton will make two hundred and fifteen million as opposed to two hundred and eighty million. I think he'll be okay, uh, whatever it is. Uh, either way, but um, I I get I get that that would be frustrating from this from this for the MB thing and the Sixers thing. It feel like it feels like they got bullied and MB got bullied into playing because of the Jokic ducking stuff. But because like, so uh, that's what it looks like to me because he was clearly injured when he started playing yesterday, even if it's a different injury. Mm-hmm. But but to me. He already missed that game. Like whatever he did last night was not going to change that. And I don't know. So why did he play though? You saw it, dude. He was yeah. like he could barely move when he got out there. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't look great at all. And it, I mean, it'd be really unfortunate if it's a serious injury. I, I hope he's yeah. fine. Um, but yeah, that was just tough. Tough. So like everybody's mad. Sixes people are mad at all the people for calling out Joel Embiid's character, which absolutely fair because it got really nasty after the, the Nuggets thing. Um, and, but like, you got to, I think, point the finger back at the Philly uh, training staff for not having him on the injury report, f- like opening up Embiid to the criticism to pull out 15 minutes before the game. Like, and it's just so, it's so sixes to me, dude. Like, how do they screw like simple stuff like this up? Like for the last five years, it's just Dude, be normal with this kind of thing. Just be like, he's fucking injured. He's going to miss the next three games. He clearly should be missing more. Um, So, like, badly mismanaged, and now everybody's upset. Go ahead, Ben. 
Yeah, well, it's just unsurprising coming from that particular franchise. Then we'll stop there. We won't shit on them yeah. any further. But Woj is actually tweeting about it now. He just tweeted out seven minutes say. ago. Sixers star Joel Embiid is out for Thursday's game versus Utah and will receive further evaluation on his left knee in the next 24 hours. Uh, Embiid is expected to travel back to Philly and not join the team in Utah. So kind of a vague update, um, but so things mm. are still up in the air there. Look, Jay, let's concerned. wrap up on this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd be fucking freaking out if I was a Sixers <laughs> fan. But also, this is like an annual tradition, right? Of just yeah. Embiid, you know, having the same injury time and time again. But obviously, we don't wish injuries upon anyone, even our worst enemies. So, um, you know, best of health to Embiid yeah. and uh, hopefully he's okay. Um, now, upcoming schedule. The Lakers, they're rolling into town tomorrow, Jay. They're pretty terrible right now. I think it's fair to say. Will that matter, though, when LeBron James and Anthony Davis roll into Boston with this whole... Celtics Lakers narrative and they're trying to pick themselves back up off the ground. LeBron's uh, tweeting out vague emojis, mysterious emojis of the hourglass, whatever that could indicate. Um, So do you think despite the Lakers poor performance to date, will that matter at all when it comes to LeBron and AD on the court in Boston tomorrow night? No, I, I, I'm looking forward to that one. The, the level of, it's just such a show when the Celtics and Lakers play each other. It doesn't matter even when the Lakers are bad and, and they're not that bad. Like, and LeBron and AD have both played at a really high level. And that team is capable of reaching a really high level on any given night. As LeBron said, the, I think it was last night. And he was like, yeah, we can beat anybody. We can also get our ass kicked by anybody. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, it should be a crazy night at the garden. It's also like there aren't, too many matchups between LeBron and the Celtics left and LeBron versus the Celtics has been a huge rivalry for more than a decade now since I mean 08 was the first epic game between the epic series between the the Cavs or between LeBron and the Celtics Mm -hmm. he had a ton of history with with that big three of the Celtics and now 16 years later for him to still be playing at the level is just insane. But I, I think people should cherish like whatever games left LeBron has against the Celtics because historically that's been one of the teams that, that he's had the, the biggest link to um, both good and bad for his career. Oh yeah. They're going to be up for it. Um, the Celtics, like they just got to get through this game and then they got a nice little stretch coming up. Um, yeah. The good news is the Celtics going to be up for it too. National game, Lakers, LeBron, like, as you said, Jay, like this, I mean, last year's Lakers Celtics game, we got the the foul that didn't get called by Tatum on LeBron. Which like to, Patrick, yeah, Patrick Beverly. Yeah. <laughs> That's an old timer. Yeah. So, which I still see like all the time on Twitter. It's like no fan base is better at keeping something like that alive for one game they lost. Um, whereas I haven't seen Celtics fans bringing up the Jalen uh, foul uh, on the paces. But yeah, this game's going to be awesome. Uh, between LeBron and I know these guys are going to be up for it. Injury report, mostly clean outside of Cornette. So um, going to be good to go. But the most important question, one question before we leave, can we look forward to J King versus Bobby Manning round two, maybe in Vegas, summer league, um, halftime entertainment, potentially uh, after Jordan <laughs> Walsh is going off for a 20 point triple double or something like that. Bobby should never want that again. (laughs) (laughs) Here he's working on his game. Yeah. (laughs) Is that still on YouTube? Yeah. Yeah, because that's why (laughs) it's it's re-emerged. Like it came up on the Garden Report recently. So it's like there was a comment here earlier in the chat. Here we go. Jay King versus Bobby the Manning, the sequel. And they showed it to Bobby and he's like, I'm a lot better than I was back then. Uh, So here we go. go. Oh, man. We got (laughs) this fast forward a little bit here. Here we go. Look at that. <laughs> All right, game time. <laughs> we won't watch the whole thing, but I mean, I just want to see Bobby try and post you up again. It's I like the, the headband and the sweatband. A little, little homage here. Yeah. <laughs> now, this is a good move. little jab step. Get him off balance. And a little fadeaway there. Oh, yeah. Very Jalen oh, Brown-esque, you might say. It was a good start. See, it was a good. It was an ugly game, as I recall. It was, it was not pretty basketball. Oh, I'm not surprised <laughs> that it's uh, not... <laughs> He wasn't, but yeah. But his was far uglier than mine. I mean, here's, look at here's the highlight. Look at him dribble. Like, <laughs> I know. What, what look, you... <laughs> why? Why are you such He's a bully? Backing why, you down. He's backing why, you down. Why, I love it. Why did you agree to this game? Um, have you always been a bully? <laughs> yes. Yes. So he, he he asked me if I wanted to do it, and uh, 
And then he, <laughs> I didn't know it was going to, I don't think I knew it was going to be filmed or anything. And he showed up and, uh, and he filmed it. And I don't know why he filmed it. <laughs> and posted it, it. I don't know why he posted it. I don't know why he hasn't deleted it since then. It was, uh, it was not the most competitive game. Well, I hear he's put on 12 pounds of muscle uh, since yeah. that game. I've, so I've I, put on like 30 pounds of fat. So. <laughs> hey, that's probably more effective, honestly, in yeah. this context of a 1v1 match. So. Yeah, <laughs> the Charles Barkley method. Uh, all right. Uh, you can find J King at by J King on Twitter. You can find all his stuff over at The Athletic. And of course, the still potable podcast, the best theme song in the industry. Subscribe to their Patreon and catch their weekly free episode here on the CLNS Network. Uh, Jay, this was awesome, man. Thanks so much for joining us. Anything you want to plug before we before we go? Uh, you can find me at The Athletic. You can find me on Still Potable. and on twitter wherever else uh just just find me or don't find me whatever you prefer (laughs) nice find him find him he's he's all right please do please do and thank you so much for coming on jay this was great look we're gonna go live on playback for the lakers game tomorrow that's playback.tv slash celtics blog and then afterwards another edition of celtics late night see you there jake love your work mate until next time go celtics i love